Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter, Built by Scott, and Instagram at King O'Kane, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Seven years ago, Jamie and I set out to answer a question. Can you integrate the worlds of therapy and performance so that they work together for the benefit of the client? We knew that if we could create something truly tangible that was inclusive instead of exclusive, it would allow you, the practitioner, to solve more problems, work with purpose instead of a cross-purpose, and in the end, you would earn more income by working smarter, not harder being fulfilled, and sought after for your solutions. After creating reconditioning and witnessing the change of so many professionals' lives and practices, we knew still there was one more ingredient we needed to make it a bulletproof process. For so many years, the brain and central nervous system were not clearly understood. There were a lot of theories and interesting practices, but the research just wasn't there to support the claims. But in the last 10 to 15 years, the world of neurology has come out of the laboratory into the world of real application. We knew this was the missing piece of our process, bringing the current practices of applied neurology into the empowering practice of reconditioning. Introducing Neuro-Reconditioning. The R-Pro series, four steps, one mission, to make you the neuro-reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. If you haven't started yet, it all starts out with our signature course, R1 Foundations. R1 is about learning the building blocks of assessing and improving functional movement through the lens of applied neurology. Maybe you've taken the first step, but that's a bit like being a freshman in a college. You've only just begun. R2 Designs empowers the process even further so you can assess and improve any human movement, understand the visual and vestibular system, and then integrate your work into performance programming and return to performance. Both of these courses are completely online experiences, so you can digest everything from the comfort of your home, hotel, plane, or office. But knowing that there is so much value in trying, doing, and living the experience with us by your side, our new R3 Collab is about you experiencing the full power of the process in a living lab. Troubleshooting your issues, fixing your problems in real time, and gaining real confidence in the process, as well as learning how the brain integrates and manages everything we do. Finally, our R4 mentorship is about exposing your knowledge, refining your approach, and learning through a powerful feedback process so you can be a reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. For more information on all our course offerings, including our landmark personal development program, Empower You, please check out reconditioninghq.com today and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 off any one of our course offering. If maximum strength, injury prevention, and performance enhancement are important to you, Isofit's all-new Maximum Strength Kit is an absolute must add addition to your arsenal. Requiring less than seven square feet of space, Isofit's cost-saving design provides over 2,000 pounds of resistance for millions of isometric-based strength exercise. Made from cold-rolled Canadian steel, Isofit's Maximum Strength Kit is the world's first performance product dedicated to maximizing isometric strength, peak isometric force, and maximum isometric endurance strength. Since 2015, Isofit strength products have proudly strengthened and stabilized athletes in the NFL, NBA, NLB, NHL, and UFC. Pre-sale pricing is on now. 
Order yours today at www.isofitmsk.ca. That's isofit with a PH. Remember to use the discount code Leave Your Mark to save 15% on your purchase. Shipping February 2022. Matrix Fitness has been the longest standing sponsor of the Leave Your Mark podcast. Greg Lawler, the Vice President of Business Development, reached out to me over a year and a half ago to say that he felt we had a common vision for human performance, something bigger than just helping people physically perform better. Their mission aligns with my mission, the idea that by creating the fertile soil for everyone and anyone to start or continue their personal performance journey, we will be here to help you do it. Matrix is one of the biggest brands in fitness and performance equipment today, but they are more than that. They are about helping you reach higher, explore your possibilities, and stay in the game, whatever your chosen path. Whatever you need, whether that is to buy equipment, rent equipment, or seek consultation, or simply recognize the possibilities, Greg and his team at Matrix are here to help you. You can find them at teamupwithmatrix.com today. Everyone struggles with the challenges of life on a daily basis. You're not alone. But if you're like most people, you feel alone, even when you're in a great relationship or a good work environment, because it's so hard to honestly reflect on your insecurities and obstacles with the people that you love or serve. After all, everyone wants to present themselves as being on it, prepared, ready to meet the challenges of life head on. But you know that's not how you always feel inside. Do you sometimes feel as though just having someone to bounce your ideas off of would be something you needed? Maybe you wish you just had someone who would listen to you so you could vent without the fear of judgment. The LYM Life Lab is about real mentorship. It's about me listening to you, connecting, empathizing, realizing, and reflecting so you can make better decisions, create your own change, and live a life of fulfillment and joy. It's not about living the perfect life. It's about living a better life. One you design, craft, explore, and experience within a safe place of objective perspective and honesty but no judgment. In the coming weeks, I will be opening this program up to an exclusive group of people, people who want to see real change in their lives and are willing to work towards real growth. This isn't a program for everyone, but if you're up for the challenge, you'll want to pay close attention to how to be included in this powerful experience. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for how you can be an instigator of your own change. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Maria Mountain. Maria is a strength and conditioning coach. For the past 25 plus years, she's been helping athletes ranging from Olympic and Stanley Cup champions to recreational levels and everything in between achieve their goals by designing and implementing training programs that address not only their sport, but their individual needs. A former standout road hockey goalie in the neighborhood, Maria's reputation for helping hockey players find success brought back her passion for goaltending. The founder of Goalie Training Pro Inc. She has specialized in on off ice training for hockey goalies for more than a decade. I'm pleased to have her with me here today. Welcome, Maria. Thanks so much, Scott. Yeah, it's um, it's funny. I was reading again the email that you sent me about Jeff Hackett, and we have a few mutual clients over the years that we bounced into uh, the uh, Moyer uh, Virtue Group that I uh, used to work with as well. And uh, but Hack is uh, obviously somebody from back a few years ago that you worked with. Um, so it's finally nice to meet you. I've heard about you over the years, and you obviously have a great practice in your hometown. So uh, tell me, you know. 
a little bit about where you grew up and, and sort of what were the influences, speaking of road hockey, on your early life? Uh, so I grew up in London, Ontario, where I where I live now. It's the kind of place when you grow up, you know, anyone probably in your home town, like, I'm not staying here. And then when you get to be somewhat pseudo grown up, you're like, this is actually a nice place to be. So, um, you know, I I just always loved sports and, and our family was always pretty active. My dad wasn't huge on organized sports. So, you know, we played soccer when we were kids, but once it got competitive, you know, my dad was like, no, we're not doing that because we're going to the cottage. You know, my dad and my parents had a cottage, but as we're going to the cottage every weekend, like we're not sitting in a hockey rink or soccer. So, but, but, you know, we're lucky too. So I grew up in the seventies. Right. So it's, it's like we played and even, and I always wanted to play with the boys. Like I found the girls so boring. So I was, you know, a huge tomboy and but again, like it didn't really seem to be a problem typically, you know, if you, and I would practice so that I was pretty good, you know, I'd practice throwing, we lived in a, like a bungalow. And so the kids' bedrooms were all off a long, you know, narrow corridor off either side. So, you know, I'd get my Nerf football and we had a Snoopy poster at the end of that hall. And I'd, you know, I'd practice throwing the football, like, you know, right on Snoopy's button. So, um, so that was probably a big influence. Like even the boys that played organized hockey um you know it was like maybe two practices a week or one practice in a game like it you know so we would like we would run home get our hockey sticks go to glenn gill's house because he had a a concrete driveway that was smooth (laughs) and you know yeah play until the street lights came on and we had to go home for dinner so that's awesome yeah so it was good i lived in a great like neighborhood yeah, it's nice. I it's funny you say London because that's where my mom is actually from. So I've been there many times back when I was younger because my grandfather lived there. We'd go visit. We're actually going down to Kincardine, Ontario, to visit my aunt and uncle. As my mom's ninety-one now, so that'll be a nice little trip in a few weeks from now. But uh, that'll yeah, be great, great time of year to be in Kincardine at the beach. Yeah, and, yeah. All yeah. So great. it'll bring back some memories. But uh, enough of me and back on to you. So you're. Um, you're kind of playing in sports and what are you dreaming of when you're a kid of being, do you have like, Oh, I look up at the stars and this is what I wish to be. Or do you, or do you even contemplate that when you're a kid? There were probably two. Um, one was, one was probably to be a doctor. Um, and I'd be pretty sour cause I'd always, you know, like again, Scott, we're probably a similar vintage. You used to get these little doctor's kits, And it was like a black plastic, you know, kind of old fashioned doctor's thing that had like a toy stethoscope and reflex hammer. And it had like little (laughs) sugar pills that would fit on the outside, like so you could prescribe pills and and things like that. And and I would always get the nurse's version, which was white and Mm. pink pills. And it's like, no, I want the black. I want the doctor's kit, you know. (laughs) So that was one. But then, like, honestly, like I loved football. So we would play road hockey all the time. I was always Ken Dryden but in football I was always Roger Staubach and I loved Staubach and so um you know and and I was probably and I was so I was a pretty good quarterback the boys would let me play quarterback in the you know when we had our neighborhood football games and my dad literally had to tell me in the car like I remember like we were driving down uh like um sanatorium road on the big bridge over the Thames River and my dad's like 
And I might have been 12, Scott. Like, I, you know, I wasn't like four. And my dad's like, Maria, you know what? Like, you are never going to be a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. And, and my dad, <laughs> bless his heart, you know, he's like, because he's like, you are not going to be tall enough to see over like your offensive line. So like that, you know, that's basically the only reason you're, you're just going to be too short to be the, the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. So he said, well, you know, you, you be better in like a sport. And I was an endurance kid, like all the time I'd, I'd get up and jog with, you know, my dad would invite us to jog with him at six in the morning. Uh, and he'd bang on that long haul and anybody that got up, got to jog with my dad. And I was the only kid that got up. And so I got <laughs> to spend that time with my dad and, and do, you know, endurance stuff. But he said, you know, you'd be better as uh, we were a big uh, skiing family, cross country skiing, downhill skiing. He said, you'd be better as like a cross country skier, ski racer. Um, you know, that's more suited to your physiology. So I was like, okay. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I'll be a cross country ski racer. <laughs> the bubble is burst. Yeah, it's like okay, yeah, fine. My dad says so. Yeah, I remember talking to uh, Louise Burke, who's a world famous nutritionist from. Uh, well, she probably wouldn't even use the term nutritionist, a sports nutrition practitioner from Australia, and she was telling a similar story, probably of the similar ilk that uh, she wanted to be a field goal kicker or kicker for uh, the Australian rules rugby be team or whatever and and again the it didn't come to pass but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> our dreams were dashed <laughs> exactly so what then drives your interest in you know what you future your future life becomes so you know you get into training people how does that all sort of transpire for you well, it, it, yeah, it's it's funny because I think my path was similar probably to a lot of strength coaches. I, I really liked gym and I really liked my gym teachers. And so I thought that, okay, that'll be cool. I, I wasn't, I, I liked biology enough, but, you know, I, I thought you can go to university and study, you know, phys ed, sign, you know, sign me right up. So that's what led me on that, on that path. I did still have that medical school idea in my back in in my back pocket um I actually I did the MCAT you know tortured myself with the MCAT and applied but (laughs) when I this is a bad story but when I was in first year um I had really a lot of fun in first year university and I did not (laughs) do very much yeah I did not (laughs) do a lot of finite algebra nor matrix algebra, uh, homework. <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up getting the flunking mark in those. And so, you know, at that time when you applied to medical school, they took an aggregate of every course you took. And so I remember <laughs> calling admissions cause I couldn't figure out like, you know, it's like an A equals eight or, you know, these many points and mm-hmm. these this many points, but it's like, well, I just had like an F. So, and I couldn't see what that translated to. So I said, well, what does, you know, what, hi, look, I'm doing this application. What does the F translate to in numbers? And she's like a zero. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay, so zero, the average of zero. Okay. Yeah. That's not going to work, is it? <laughs> so um, and you know, my dad was a, was a doctor and he was like, man, I, I like 51% hope you can get in somewhere because I know it's what you want, but he's like, I would never pick it for you. And now I just like, I, my, I had my, my mom's was been in the hospital last little while. And like, every time I walk through those doors, I think, thank 
God, you know, I didn't get excited. You know, my dad used to always say, you never know when you're being lucky. And, you know, usually we, he said it on the heels of a bitter disappointment, like not getting, uh, having a chance to get in medical school. And you felt like, oh, I want to, you know, <laughs> give you, <laughs> give you a pop in the nose, but he was always right. So, <laughs> so, you know, so then I, I, I got more, um, interested in training. So I, this is a long answer. Is this okay? This is okay. That's what, why we have an hour in the podcast. Um, so we learn the twists and turns. <laughs> so, um, so I got a job as a kinesiologist with a rehab company and basically our company was hired by motor vehicle insurance companies. Um, and typically by the time we got hired, there was some sort of issue with the claim. So this was going on longer than sort of the normal course. So the company I worked for was mostly case managers, but there was so much like kinesiology work um, that they had some in-house kinesiologists. So myself and a couple other um, women worked there as kinesiologists. And so, you know, I learned to do physical demands analysis. I learned to deal with so many different kinds of people. And, um, I'd already had a job like in a world gym, like showing people how to use the machines and all that, you know? So it was just, it was interesting because you had to think about biomechanics different and really learn to work with people who weren't like, they're not, I'm not coming to you to walk cause I want to exercise. Like mm. you're coming to me <laughs> because the insurance company says you have to be here. So trying to sort of help, you know, massage that a little bit. Um, but then it was enough of that. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go apply for a job at the big fitness chain in Canada <laughs> and I'm going to work my way up and be a regional manager one day. So I went and I interviewed with a great manager, super nice woman that I've, that I've, you know, had, had uh, correspondence with since. And I had this great idea that, you know, if somebody really liked to play tennis, like we could design exercise programs that would help them play better tennis. And if, you know, if they golfed, we could have them golf, you know, because then a personal trainer, right. was like, here's how you adjust the seat and here's how you do the circuit. And that was it. And so she smiled, she listened, she smiled and she said, you know, that's great and everything, but what we do here is sell memberships. And so it was like, okay, yeah, I get it. So I literally walked out of that place and applied to do my master's because I had that desire to learn more, you know, about how, how the human body worked and how human performance worked. Hmm. Um, yeah. And well, that, so, yeah. I was going to say, well, one of the things that interests me, especially from your, you know, the timing of your career uh, growth is not unlike mine, but being different in the sense that we're, you know, I'm male, you're female going, there's already sort of not that many influences in the Canadian infrastructure around performance training in the seventies and eighties in Canada as it is. And then there's not too many women to look up to. So what makes you start to sort of believe that, you know, I, Maria Mountain, can actually do something in performance training when there's not necessarily a lot of women to look up to in the industry, and the industry is kind of, kind of like nebulous in the 80s and not what it is today. You know, a lot of a lot of younger people looking back now probably wouldn't know what we grew up with was a lot different. You know, you were reading Muscle Mag and all this <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff and you weren't going to, you know, these this litany of journals and Google and everything else that you look at today. So a little context for the listener on that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like, I, I don't think I thought about it, Scott, mm-hmm. like, and, and maybe because of my experience growing up with, you know, and, and being able to play with the boys and, and I just learned from that experience, like, so be really good. Cause if mm-hmm. you're really good, they'll let you play. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're bad or you cry or, you know, then they won't let you play. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I was lucky. Well, I guess, no, I wasn't lucky. When I, when I finished my master's, um, the fellow who was the exercise specialist at the Fowler Kennedy Sport Medicine Clinic at Western, he was moving on to become the head AT at University of Waterloo. And so there was going to be an opening there in the fall. So I just went every single day and like shadowed him and uh, like for no pay and just said, Hey, like, is it okay? Like ask Brian Gastaldi, like, Hey, is it okay if I come and just shadow Bernsey? Like, I'd like to apply for that job when it's open. And, you know, and they were like, yeah, that's fine, but you'll have to apply. And, you know, um, so I did that for the whole summer and then, um, applied for the job and yeah, like had a tough interview and there were other, yeah, like guys, you know, that came in and, but I got the job. So that, that was really sort of the start of the the, the pivotal moment in, in my strength and conditioning career. That's cool. Well, you, you were at Fowler Kennedy during, I would say a Zenith period of for its kind of representation in Canada at the time, very leading edge sports medicine group out of London back in those days. And um, you mentioned Brian Gastaldi. Uh, There's a bunch of different people out of there that were, you know, kind of leaders in the industry. What did, how did that influence your, your lens on, on what you went on to do? Yeah, it was amazing because I basically got to watch the physical therapists do what they do. And the great physios like Brian, you know, were interested in explaining to me, Hey, this is what we're looking for. This is why we do it. This, you know, this is why this is happening. And then I had a little lab. So any, any kinesiologists or exercise specialists that work in the physio clinic know that the physio is like, okay, like, go do stuff with Maria. (laughs) Like, you know, I don't even know what she does, but just go do that stuff. (laughs) And, um, so I could play with these athletes and, you know, we'd get all the varsity athletes from the university. And, and so it was cool because like you said, it's very different thinking. Like I say it now and people are like, well, duh. Yeah. Like everybody knows that, but it wasn't the way. Yeah. It was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we were reading muscle and fitness, like you said, but you know, these, these football players, let's say, they couldn't bench, they couldn't squat, they couldn't do the big stuff. So we worked on the small stuff, you know, the inside out approach. And they would go back to competition as soon as they you know, were pain free and cleared to play. And they'd come back and say, like, I felt way better than I did after the injury than I did before. And I wasn't even doing my training. And so it, it, and it was, I I was passionate about it. So I loved spending time and problem solving and well, show me the position and what, you know, what do you need to do and studying what they had to do. Um, and it got to the point where like athletes wouldn't want to get discharged from physio because they just wanted to keep coming and playing. And, um, you know, so that, so that was a huge influence in how, okay, this is, this is how we help people perform better, but also we help keep them healthy. Mm. Um, Brian was an amazing mentor. I think the other, there were a lot of great mentors there, but, um, Pete Fowler was my thesis supervisor. And I think the biggest thing I learned from him as well, and, and I'd go and sit in on orthopedic rounds and sport medicine rounds or, you know, anywhere they wouldn't kick me out. And, 
And he would, you know, so he's a world-renowned uh, knee surgeon, one of the pioneers of ACL reconstruction. But if someone's talking about something in the shoulder, the elbow, you know, he would easily put up his hand and say, I don't, you know, can you explain this to me? Like I'm not very smart. You know, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand what you're saying. And if you know, Dr. Fowler, he, those aren't exactly the words he would use, but <laughs> it would be a little more spicy, but I learned that like, so it really taught me, wow, if he's, he's a world renowned expert, but it's okay for him to ask when he doesn't understand, mm-hmm. you know, then it's okay for me to ask when I don't understand. Cause I was certainly one of those people who would sit there and smile and nod and be like, I don't know what's going on right now. So you do this job for a few years and then what happens? You decide to break out on your own and do build your own thing. Is, is that where it goes from there? In a little bit of a circuitous way. So I was there for five years and then somebody was opening a velocity sports performance in mm-hmm. London. Okay. And so again, I think it's now defunct, but for those of you that don't know, it, it was like a, like a 15,000 square foot, uh, you know, turf mondo track like you know training facility and so i got hired there to be the sport performance director and it was really cool because like to me that was my dream like i've i have made it (laughs) like i've arrived this is it you know i'm gonna do this for the rest of my life what i learned there is that it's a volume business Mm. and it's not about it's about filling the groups and again it's like we sell memberships that's what we do. Um, so that that got old very, very, very fast. Um, and there's an owner who has interest, which, yes, like you need to have interest because it's your money. And there's a head strength coach who has her interests. And uh, so that didn't that didn't end very well. <laughs> so I literally went from there to like training people out of the trunk of my car. Like, I'll come to your backyard I'll go to the park um and that went on for a while and then actually it was Brian Gastaldi's wife owns a lovely shop in downtown London that has space above it and she said you know what this might this might be good for you Mm. um and so I moved into that space and and that's where revolution sport conditioning started cool so how do you start for the the young listener or whatever, how, how do you start making the links to higher and higher performing athletes? And I, I know you made quite a name for yourself in the hockey industry and, you know, you've worked with a lot of elite athletes over time. And how did you build that? How did you come into contact and connect with these people? Um, I just said yes a lot. Um, so, you know, and working in the clinic, we'd get to meet some NHL. That's how I met Jeff. You know, Jeff Hackett was in because he had that bad shoulder dislocation and had to have it reconstructed. And so I worked with him in the physio clinic the first, um, you know, the first while. And then he's, he sort of was like, you know, like, what would you do for a goalie, you know, training program? And we talked about it. And then he hired me for that. And then the next summer, you know, Jeff, like, he's like, you like, you need to take a leave of absence from the clinic and you're only going to train me. <laughs> so like I was literally on call, like the phone would ring at, you know, when it gets super hot at like yeah. 430 in the afternoon, like, and it's just cooking the phone would ring and it would be Jeff and he'd be like, I want to go running. And I would have to go to his house and go running with him. Like, uh, like we do our workout in the morning and such, but I was like, I had to be on call 
from like eight to five or something like that. So, um, but then too, like, you know, I think the athletes maybe told the coaches. So while I was still at the clinic, um, the, like, you know, it was first like the men's basketball team asked me to be their strength coach, then the women's volleyball team, then the men's volleyball team, then the track team, then the hockey teams, you know, so I was like, there weren't strength coaches, but I was a strength coach for, you know, men's and women's hockey, volleyball, basketball, track and field. Mm. And, uh, you know, and they'd be like, we can pay you $500 a year. Excellent. (laughs) Yes. You know, and then like I had this backpack that was like, twice the size of me that I'd put stuff in and, and, you know, and go and do that. And then I actually had started my own training business on the side as well. So I'd, I'd work at the clinic from like whatever, seven to four, then I'd train the teams. Then I'd go see private clients. Uh, and, and then, then I went to velocity and then I started revolution. So, and you were getting wealthy this whole time. Yeah. Like riches, (laughs) 500 bucks. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. So like, yeah. So I said, yes, a lot. And I, you know, and I just like did as best a job as I could. And then the athletes saw good results. And Mm. when they see good results, they want to do more of that. And they're going to, you know, when they go back to their team and it's like, what did you do? Well, like I had this new trainer this year, holy smokes, you know, so. So what did you fall in love with? Like what, what, what do you get out of all of this? What is innately in your heart when you do it? I think the best is just like, helping people achieve their goal. It's not, yeah, it sounds cheesy, but if I help people achieve their goals so they can live their dreams, there's no better gift you can give someone. Um, yeah, that's, that's the best part of it. Breaking it down, giving them a plan, helping them with the plan and then seeing them achieve their goals. Well, you know, you, uh, not knowing you super well, but from outside looking in, my my impression is you're humble and there's great humility in you. But tell me a a good story about somebody that you you know you worked with and and you know they flourished and it uh, and it really you know you know really struck in your heart something that you know I'm sure you've got several of those stories in your life, but do you remember one that in particular that is. Uh, that kind of hits you, somebody you worked with and they were able to overcome or get, get somewhere they didn't think they could get. I think the, just the one that pops first into my head when you start asking the question is, is definitely Scotty, Scott Moyer. Um, so I worked with Scotty before I worked with uh, Miss Tessa, as I like to call her. Um, and so then that was the season, um, you know, leading into the Vancouver games when she was having the issues with the compartment syndrome. And, and so it was hard for her, like really hard for her to skate and to generate power. And, um, but you know, Scotty was so, uh, you know, dedicated and, and, and again, we had that moment, (laughs) um, we had a moment where they had, like, they had good success as juniors and I, and I worked with him while they were juniors and had that great success. So that gets to be, you know, the athletes get a little swagger, like, you know, and, (laughs) and, uh, and so there was, there was a turning point in our relationship when Scotty was late for a workout, maybe it'd been a few times he'd been late and it's just, you're not late to like, you don't walk into revolution late. If you do, you're like in a panic and you have that look on your face, like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) So Scotty wheels in late. 
uh, goes in the bathroom, gets changed and I'm sour and he knows I'm sour and he's, you know, sour right back at me. And he comes out of the bathroom and he says, I just sprayed chocolate milk all over the bathroom, like by accident. Like he went to shake up his chocolate milk and the lid came off and he's like, so I'm late. And I just sprayed chocolate milk all over the bathroom. So we had a very serious discussion <laughs> about, you know, how Olympic champions prepare and, you know, and, and then that was a turning point. And so, you know, watching them in Vancouver, like, and you know, the sport, right? Like it's like one twizzle <laughs> that's off and it's like, okay, that's it. Like, we'll see you in four years, like that you're not going to win. And so to see them like so young, you know, and, and talking about, Hey, like you better, like you better, pra like you're not going to hear anything in that last, you know, once from that last lift sequence, you're not going to hear a thing. Like it's going to be so loud and, um, you know, and so, and then seeing them do that and, mm -hmm. you know, seeing, yeah, like that's, that's a dream come true. That, that was like, Oh, that was number one for me. Yeah. Cool. So you, you're married, you've been together with your hubby for quite a few years. Like, where do you guys meet and how does that relationship kind of <laughs> blossom in all of this? Because you're working 24-7 as it is. Uh, so how, how do you make that work? Quick break here and we'll be back in a couple of seconds with our podcast guest. The reconditioning process is powerful, it's provocative, and it has become a sought-after capacity in the human performance world. ReconditioningHQ.com has released the R-Pro Series, a four-step turnkey process to integrating the worlds of therapy and performance. Four steps, one mission, to make you the reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. The first step is R1 Foundations, and it's recently been turbocharged with the injection of applied neurology. We are extremely excited about what this new capacity is going to do to your ability to solve problems and serve your client. For more information about the R-Pro series or any one of our empowering courses, head over to reconditioninghq.com and take advantage of our free five hours video that takes you through our groundbreaking method of improving mobility. Do you let $100,000 walk out of your rehab business every year? If you're like most businesses, you do. Operating your business under a fix or release model drives your client revenue out the door. For less than $10 per day, Isofit's line of strength products can change your revolving door of lost revenue into a flourishing rehab prevention and performance training business. Call them at 1-866-2-ISOFIT. I-S-O-P-H-I-T, and strengthen your rehab business bottom line today. Matrix Fitness is a global brand of fitness and performance equipment with over 7,000 employees worldwide. Their expertise and capacity in this world are exceptional, with over 500 products that cater to the medical, fitness, and athletic performance markets. But they want to do more than provide product. They want to help you thrive as a performance professional or business person. They are here to help. Whatever your problem might be, they are ready and willing to help you find solutions. Greg Lawler and his team at Matrix can be contacted at teamupwithmatrix.com. And believe me when I say this, they will make a difference in your success. We're back. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. Well, like all strength coaches, met my husband <laughs> at a bar. <laughs> met him at the GTs in London. 
And, uh, and I went home and I told my roommates, I said, well, I've just met my destiny right there, you know? And, and so, uh, so then, you know, it took a little while we started, uh, dating and yeah, we've been married for over 25 years. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing too. Like I, I am convinced if I was married to anyone and you know what it's, you know, your wife is in the business as well. So, but, you know, but if I was married to anyone else, I, I wouldn't be married still, uh, especially the early days starting that business. I was by myself for the first eight years. I was face to face training clients like 50 hours a week. Um, you know, it would be like, hey, I think, you know, I should be home around seven and I'd wheel in at nine. <laughs> and, you know, we'd be like, okay, <laughs> like that's fine. Uh, so it, I'm, I'm very like, you know, and, and, um, he's pretty laid back. And so I think that I don't like two Maria's in one house would be no <laughs> dice. So he's, he's good. Cause he's, he just goes with the flow. He's, he's a steady Freddie. I'm so lucky. Well, I want to play off that a little bit because, you know, this is this point of this podcast is for the listeners to sort of learn through the lives of these successful people and what they've done. But there's always, you know, behind any six successful person, there's always the difficulties that you don't always see. You see the, oh, what has Maria achieved and who she worked with, et cetera. Were there any, you know, any times where you got down on what you were doing and maybe contemplated doing something else or got burnt out where you just were fried and kind of questioning what am I, what am I doing, you know, and tell me about that. And what did you do to come out of it? Yeah, I probably have had, I probably have had bad burnout a couple times mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's such a trap because you want to do it so bad. It's your passion. You love it. It's your purpose and you're good at it. And then you have success and then more people want to come. And it's like, I can actually make a living doing this. This is amazing. And you want to help that many people, but then yeah, like training people face to face 50 hours a week is just then for me personally, I got to, to hate it. Mm. And like, I would get home, you know, I'd have to get up at four in the morning to, to go to the gym, to start training clients and or maybe four 30, by the time I'd get home, do my program design, uh, you know, everything. And I, so I'd be going to bed and I'd look at the clock and be like, I have to be up in like three hours or four hours. And it's like a desperate feeling. Um, like you feel trapped in it. So, um, yeah, so that's pretty bad. So I know, and then I learned like at first it was really scary because it's like, oh my God, I hate this. I don't even like training people when they show up. So I thought this was my dream. Maybe it's not. And then what now, what am I going to do? Mm. But what I learned, uh, and that was a lot too, like one was when I was at that velocity and one was when I, when my business grew so, so much and I was doing it all by myself. So I learned mm. from that first experience. No, I don't hate being a strength coach. I just hate that schedule. Um, so, and then I started my own business. So it was kind of a nice reset. Um, with the second one, I like, I had to let some clients go because I just couldn't do it anymore. And then I uh, got serious about finding a coach to come in with me to work with me. And that, that also changed my life. Mm. That's cool. Like how, how did you make a decision um, to trust somebody? Cause this is often a question. I think um, some professionals 
struggle with, which is, you know, people have come to see me and some of it's, there's an egocentric side of it, but there's also just uh, how do I do this? I'm stuck. Like uh, this is what the expectation of the client is. You know, they've come to see me. How do I move them to somebody else? How did you work through that? And how did you find that right person? Um, you know, it was a little bit of serendipity that that I found that I found him. I was looking, starting to look for someone, and you know, he was working at another like a personal training studio. And I think his wife was like, "No, you should apply at this place and see." You know, I wasn't even actively really looking. I was just. And so he sent me an email and he had played in the OHL and, and had been in the AHL in the, in the coast. So I thought that was good. You know, I was like, okay, the hockey people, like he's a hockey guy. Um, and then we met and he was hungry to learn. So he, he wasn't, you know, university educated, but he wanted to learn. He wanted to learn how to do it right. He didn't want to just be monkey see, monkey do, or, you know, make a hard workout. He wanted, you know, he looked at it as an opportunity. Wow. I get to learn mm-hmm. about this. So, um, yeah, I think that that was key. And then in terms of like, it was hard because you, yeah, in, in your mind as well, you're like, these people are all coming to see me. <laughs> like, they don't want to see Tyler. And it's funny because just in the last year, uh, one of my clients, you know, who's been a client, he's still a client at Revolution. But he said, man, when Tyler first came and you were like, um, you know, well, Tyler's going to train you. I wanted nothing to do with Tyler, you know, but he says now, yeah, now they love. So that was my mission. It was like, okay, my mission is to make Tyler so good. And he's a super nice guy, you know, and so people love him, but make him so good that people could care less if right. I, when I walk in the door, that right. they're like, whatever, right? Who cares? You know, which again, it's kind of like, yeah, it does kind of hurt your feelings. Like when you come in and you're like, hi, gang. And everyone used to be like, hi, Maria. And now they're like, yeah, whatever. Like, who are <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but it was perfect. And then, um, you know, I, after probably, four or five years of working with him is like, Hey, like if you want to, like you will take over the gym, you know? And, and so then I did sell the gym to him, uh, like the September before COVID. Thanks Maria. (laughs) That was helpful. But, uh, I still help him with the business side and it, and it's, it's the nice thing about having a small space where, you know, everybody, you have relationships with everybody. And so, you know, he didn't lose, a lot of clients and, and the gym will, will survive it for sure. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Challenges of our times for sure. Yeah. So what, well, what makes you precipitates that decision in you to sell the gym? Cause again, that's something that, you know, you've built, it's your baby, uh, you know, you've envisioned it, you've created it and now you're kind of passing it off, but how do you make what, what per, per, precipitates that decision at some point for you to kind of contemplate that? I think it's just knowing it's time. Mm -hmm. Like, like exactly walking in the gym, clients don't care if you're training them, if Tyler's training them uh, and feeling okay with that. You know, I I feel pretty good about that, (laughs) that that I'm not really, you know, needed um, as much. So, and and just feeling it was time. Plus I had started, um, goalie training pro, um, you know, probably 10, 10 or more years ago. And, and so it was building and I, I felt that I really wanted to build that and, and see how to do that. I, I, I do love to travel. I'd like to be able to maybe travel a little more. 
Um, and I felt like it wasn't, I felt there were two ways I could go. I could show up less and less at the gym and keep lots of the money. Uh, or I could let Tyler have a go and, mm-hmm. and give him a chance to make it, you know, a great, a great life for him. And then, you know, in 15 years down the road, he'll look at someone, you know, that he can mm-hmm. sell it to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, th- those were kind of the things that went through. And it just felt, you know, people say, Oh, do you ever regret it? Nope, not. And I, and I love the people. Like I miss the people so much. Um, I love working with athletes. I was still working a little bit with one of our athletes who's off to the Olympics now, but, um, but I, I don't miss, you know, having to be in there every day. That's cool. So we sort of talked at the beginning when we first came on because I noticed all the guitars behind you, but how do you, what do you do that's not strength training that allows you to be whole and to be, you know, to get yourself away from this stuff and kind of rebalance before you go back into the gym or back into a training session? I I do love to be active. Probably, you know, I love to run. We, my husband and I moved this past fall um, and we live near some like bike trails and then some like running, like trail trails as well along the Thames river. And so I love to get out there and run or bike. And I love to ski still downhill or cross country in the winter. Um, I like the guitar because I don't know if you meditate or if you try meditate, but when I meditate, it's just like, Oh, this is 10 minutes where I can think in my head, everything I'm going to do when I'm finished <laughs> meditating. <laughs> like it just like, and I know you're not supposed to judge yourself on how good or bad you are at meditating, but I'm bad at meditating. But when I play the guitar, I was telling you before, like I'm so not very good at it, that it really takes all my focus. So for me, that is a time when my brain mm. can be clear of thinking things and just thinking about making these notes and trying to play you two songs on the guitar. <laughs> That's cool. That's a good segue for my, uh, I, I read this book called the day you were born that I found yeah. many years ago. And I'm excited so, to hear this. Cause I listened to your, I listened to other episodes. I was like, Oh my gosh, what's mine going to say? So you're September 5th, right? Mm-hmm. Virgo five. Mercury, Mercury, it says, purpose to harness your versatility into one goal, balancing your personal needs with your desire to help others. The wise through an excess of wisdom is made a fool, Emerson. Virgo fives are no fools, but they are lovers of extremes. They bore easily, are never satisfied, and never give up. The other possible scenario is that they never try because life is too overwhelming. Their perfectionist nature prevents them from even attempting. Relationships are difficult because long-term commitments scare them. They like to keep things new and fresh. They're attracted to someone who is tough with them, someone with a powerful focus and strong roots. On the work front, they either burn the midnight oil or can't push the pencil across the paper. So it is quite a, quite a bit of extremes. Yeah, some things in there. I think, yeah, some things hit the mark. Some things, a little bit of a swing and a it's miss. Always a little, so there's a few misses. On every yeah. Time, but it, yeah. Sounds like, it sounds like it's got you on the work thematic anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that definitely that side of the scale, I would say. So why did you fall in love with and, uh, and find an interest in goaltending? Obviously, you play ball hockey with a, as a goalie, but uh, very high level ball hockey. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I always loved it as a kid and I don't, I don't know why, like, I just, like, I loved Dryden and I don't know if it was the gear or if it was that, you know, you're the one who has to do your job, but I, I, I loved it. Um, and then as, you know, once you have sort of the biomechanics and the anatomy and the physiology and you look at it, like I look at it as my sandbox and that's a heck of a sandbox to play in for years. So looking and, and the, as a technique change. So I remember Jeff Hackett telling me about this new technique called the butterfly and showing me what it was. And, and I thinking that is incredible. And then and I'm also thinking like, hips aren't designed actually to do that. Like that's actually really, like really bad for your hips kind of thing. Like, and, um, you know, so, so then it's like, okay, well, how, it's a lot like baseball pitchers, you know, like, yeah, you're not arms and your shoulder and your elbows not designed to do that. So, but you're going to do that. So how can we come up with ways to, reduce your risk, reduce your wear and tear when you're doing that movement. And then the RVH comes along, which is just like another, like that takes it up on a whole nother level. So, um, yeah, I, like, I just love like the energy system, like the standing playing from the butterfly, the bottom up agility, you know, that vertical agility goalies need the hand eye. It's, so it's like, it's my playground. It's my sandbox. And, and I love goalies too. So, you know, people be like, oh, they're kind of weird. Well, yeah, like maybe they're kind of weird, but, but I love them and, yeah. and I love, you know, listening to them and I, and I can empathize with like, that's a hard, that's a hard position to be in. So yeah, that, I think it's all those things together. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I had an interest in that, uh, as well. I was kind of, um, keen to talk to you about that in some sense because i had the same epiphany many years ago that i felt like everybody was training goalies like they were training hockey players and they're so so much different than hockey players uh, it, it always astounded me that they were doing the same training programs as their brethren so to speak so it's cool to to hear you've taken sort of a an affinity direction with that and and, and are sort of taking care of those guys and well girls. and like when I started focusing on goalies, yeah, like 12 years ago or whatever it was. And I remember being at conferences. And so I would, you know, and so there'd be like speaker up there. Who's the strength coach for, you know, like, like big name strength coach. And I'd ask about, you know, well, like, what do you do for your goalies? <laughs> and, and, uh, and even like I, then I'd get invited to present at some conferences and talk about goalie stuff and, you know, and a lot of them would be like, goalie, goalies already think they're so special. Like they don't need, and they don't need more to make them feel special. And it's just like, that's the mindset, you know, it's, it's uh, like, no, we're not trying to make them feel special. We're trying to help them play the game. And, yeah. you know, so, so it's cool to see how that's changed too. Like now there's, a, you know, there's like lots of like people who do goalie stuff. And yeah. so it's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, it's an interesting industry for cottage industry for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, sometimes soul destroying, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, who are some of your, you know, after you come out of um, school and work at the Fowler Kennedy Center, who are some of the influencers that sort of drive your style your methodology your approach uh you mentioned in the note that you wrote to me you went down to the nsca conference and we're looking for a ball guy with a goatee which would not help you find me that's for sure um but 
<laughs> at a strength coach's conference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every third, <laughs> but, every third person. Yeah. <laughs> but you're as you're going through your career, are there certain professionals that do influence your your approach, or are you very much self self driven, self designed, so to speak? I think early on, like Mike Boyle, you know, was a was a big influence. Um, I think. Mark Verstegen, I always really respected him just because I felt he was very low-key but really knew his stuff. Um, I went to see Thomas Myers do an anatomy trains course in New York City probably, yeah, it might have been 14 or 15 years ago. That was an epiphany to me. Like, that was a big epiphany. Peter Twist was a huge, huge influence, you know, because nobody was doing this, fun- what is this functional training of which you speak, you know? And so, so he was a huge influence. He, I would, I would do all the courses and then like, always like give him my resume. Like, can I get, can I get a job? Like, <laughs> and I never, I never got a job, but uh, yeah. So he was another huge one. Those are the ones that kind of pop to mind, but I, I like, you know, and so even now, like I, like I love learning from Andrea Ospina and it's, you know, it's like anything you need to take this in, evaluate, be open-minded, evaluate it. You know, does this make sense? Test it. Does this work? Okay. And then, then we take it in. So like, I like, I like the stuff that, that he does. I like the PRI uh, stuff. I've done two levels of the PRI and I find like, that's, you know, like people like that. So it's neat to get outside of just the traditional strength coaches like Ron Hrushka, like the guy thinks on a completely different level. Like when he visualizes the body, what he pictures is completely different. I'm sure than what I picture. And, but it's fascinating. I've done some of the Aldoa courses, which is, which are really different too, because it comes from a little more of a Pilates thing. So it, you know, like, like the, like we'll be in a group and we'll be teaching each other. And, you know, the people who are more in the Pilates vein will be like speaking in a very soothing voice and you're going to do this. And then like, I'll get up there and be like, okay, we're going to sit up tall. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the flies people are all like, oh, who is this one? Who's <laughs> in that case in the back? Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, who's in that case who rode a kick scooter to class? Uh, but, um, you know, so that that's kind of where I'm at now. Cool. So where where do you want to go? Where Where is the next frontier for you, so to speak? I don't, uh, like, it's just focusing on the goalies that I'm working with, um, regardless of their level as well. I've, 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 and may, I don't know if you've gone through the same, I, you know, it's still fun to train professional athletes and, but you know, yeah, if I'm going to help you achieve your goals and, and play a game you love better and longer or make it from double A to triple A for the first time like that, counts a lot Hmm. so I want to just yeah I want to pour more and more into the goalies that I have in my programs and really deliver for them I'd like to um you know one of my goals is to and to having this online business be able to maybe travel and and sort of live somewhere different for a month every year and uh, you know rent an apartment somewhere and hang out because I do really like to travel and explore different areas so yeah that just yeah keep trying to do a great job how did you turn the pandemic into a positive for yourself or, or did you, how was your experience with this last 18 months or so? It was, it 
was pretty good. Like I'm an introvert anyway, Scott, like, um, so I have no problem staying home, <laughs> not, not seeing people. Um, it didn't, it didn't bother me. Like, and it was fun because, so we moved to a new neighborhood, as I was saying, and there's a pond at the end of the street. So, so I would go out with my goalie pads and practice out on the pond and it just like it brought it all back you know when you're like your fingers are so frozen you can't untie your skates now and it's like I might freeze to death here because I can't untie my (laughs) skates you know like and it so things like that um you know is great like just being able to be outside and and do Mm -hmm. just simple things like that but otherwise it yeah it wasn't a and I'm lucky because I had sold the gym. So I didn't have that extra pressure. You know, I, I would help Tyler with it, but I didn't have, it wasn't on my shoulders. So I think that makes it a bit easier too. So if you could go back and ran into yourself when you were just kind of contemplating being a doctor and then kind of moving into what you did, what would you say to that young lady? Don't be a doctor. (laughs) Don't even bother. Don't write the MCAT. It's not going to work out. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, I think just, you know, like, yeah, focus on doing the best job you can do and, and learn and be diligent and, and coach it, you know, Mm. like make sure they're doing it right. Cause that's how they get better. And you will, Last question. You will pass from this earth one day, hopefully not for a very long time, but uh, what do you want to, what would you hope people remember you for? Uh, I hope, uh, well, that's a tough question. I guess I hope they would remember me for being like a taskmaster and that, you know, cause it's like, yeah, if you say you want this, then, then we're going to do it. But I also hope they'll remember that like I had fun doing it and, and how they felt, uh, you know, like I really, like I really cared about them and helping them achieve their goals. Awesome. It has been very nice to get to know you finally after all these years. Hopefully our paths will cross uh, eye to eye sometime in the future. And if it's not soon, well, hopefully it'll be in Trombola next June. So. Yeah, it definitely will be then, if not sooner. This has been a blast. Yeah, yeah, I've I've followed your your work for a long time. I've had such respect for the work you do. So it is it is nice to make a connection. I look forward to continuing building a friendship. Cool. Thanks for your time today, Maria. It was nice to meet you. Pleasure. Cheers, Scott. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.